gurgly 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 arose okay so um so the topic is like on the rewrites do you do Mm -hmm. a rewrite do you do something incrementally and the scary like he said like the the lines like there's a divide between engineers who thought about doing this those who did it and it's a big one yeah so uh wait wait so what is the it's like hey Uber had this period where they moved their code base from Objective-C to Swift, and they had a target deadline of, uh, like, they wanted to have, in by Christmas time, the new app ready to go in stores. And so they, they had a timeline. It required a three-month rewrite plus a one-month, like, you know, then debugging style and then, like, getting approved for the for the uh, the app stores. Uh-huh. Um, so, like, they basically rewrote one million lines of code in three months. Okay. And it worked. It, they did it. It was successful. But it was like to the point where they were working seven days a week, you know, having like on calls at like middle of the night for the entire time. And like several people quit uh, some during the process, but most of them after the process. And he was also saying like on the good side, like, you know, he wouldn't have achieved his career. A lot of stuff that he has in his career is attributable to that period of time. Yeah. 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 I mean, you were uh, hard work pays off, right? You work Obviously, burnout's a thing too. I was actually watching Primogen just made a video where he's like, "I'm exhausted," and he went through his regimen for the day, and he's like, "I'm working nights on this course thing, and I'm working days at my real job, and then I have like streaming and barely have time for the kids." And he's like, "I've been doing this for months, and I'm just exhausted and tired, and I'm gonna push through it because I know that hard work does pay off, and like this is, I make a choice every morning that." I'm, I'm not going to quit and I keep going, which I think is a very unnuanced position. And I'm more and more and I'm getting I'm getting annoyed at all of these very unnuanced positions that people take publicly who have like wide followings. Yeah. Right? Like on the one hand. Yeah, sure. If 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 uh, discipline is a very valuable trait, however, don't burn out and like don't you know, there there uh, I think there was like an HBR podcast or, uh, a while back about um how many how many like companies and businesses and they, ideas and things should have been quit earlier and it's a mistake to keep going yeah. like the um sunk cost fallacy sort of thing mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so like it's fine to like quit something sometimes and it's and it's fine to stop something if it's not worth it for your health or for your mental health or for, right or- yeah i was gonna say like during the time where i learned a lot of my career i sacrificed my health like so whenever whenever you are doing that kind of stuff like you're 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 losing something. There's no doubt about. It. It's yeah. not like oh, I'll just push through and everything's fine. No, it's like you can do that. If you do that, you're sacrificing some things. Be aware of what those things are and be be okay with those things, and then try to find a way to recoup those losses. I know, I think, at the same time, I think that uh, there, there's like big arguments on both sides. There's like a, a lot of people fighting for mental health to the point where it's easy to like not do anything of value because you're just being so kind to yourself. Like I find myself falling into that trap sometimes. It's like, oh, I'm feeling a little bit of discomfort. Time to stop things for the day and like pack it up, go home. And so that that makes it like kind of a rough cycle. And I, I've, I've been, um, I follow um, this artist, Bobby Chu, and he's like very well known in the industry. And his tips are, are kind of refreshing because um, yeah, they're focused on doing better. And um anyways the the one that that has kind of stuck with me is like when you feel a little bit tired like that's when other people feel tired and so 
like push through that like that that's that, that's the beginning of of uh, like being better than other people it, 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 like there's a lot of different ways to interpret it but that's how i've interpreted it is like okay if i'm feeling tired let's just give it like five percent more and so at least i'm like pushing and like gaining something yeah i mean i, I think there's there's benefit to pushing yourself so you can grow i think one of the things so the, the rewrite makes me think of how there's kind of different types and flavors of uh overwork right so one is i have to think too much and my brain is tired the other one is i don't have to think too much but i have to type a lot right and so i think rewrites can go either way you know one one thing with the rewrite it could be oh i want to change some fundamental paradigm which means that i can't copy and paste all this other stuff that i had before right the other version is like you know it's it's a fairly direct translation from one one paradigm into the same paradigm just using a different like language or a different whatever right and at that point it's just like oh yes i have a lot of work to do but it's direct translation low levels of thinking and for me like the thing that's helpful is having a bit of both or at least having the option of both because if i don't want to think anymore having something that i can directly translate with no thought it's a different type of tired that that generates and i think knowing so being so personally i try to keep aware of what is tiring what's the shape of that tiredness and can i fit a different type of tiredness on top because <laughs> it might you might be able to get extra tiredness for free because of that for me it, it translates to like um music work and non-music work like what yeah. can i what can i do work and listen to music exactly. more and then what do i need to like sit down and actually have space to think about i i like that that's that's cool to think about it's kind of like the thing of like um yeah, my, my productivity is really high in, in the morning. So uh, I forget who it, I think it was my old manager, Mike Crittenden, had a blog that's like, don't do things during your high productivity time that you could do while you're drunk. So if you think about the task and you could you think, oh yeah, I could do that while I'm drunk, then just push it off <laughs> until you're tired. You, know? <laughs> you don't need to do that right now. You need to do the things yeah. that require your full attention. That's a dangerous thing though then people are like oh i need to get drunk all the time so i don't have to do my hyper <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> well, something related you know is like early in my career i would definitely just like push through stuff that i'm like okay like i don't know what i'm doing i'll just push through it and now it's like more like you know i know if i push through this now without like the clearest mind i'm going to make some mistakes it'll cost me more time so i'm going to just not do it yeah. but that's very dangerous because then i find myself being technically less productive than I have when I was a new, right? So like, how do you balance the like, okay, I don't, I don't have the space to think all about the problem, but I'm still going to just push forward. And if it's a waste of time, it's fine. To me, this is like the heart of what TDD is supposed to be, right? Like TDD is about thinking a little bit about where the boundaries of the system are, writing test cases around those boundaries, and then turning off your brain, right? So Point, and I think it's easy to miss that or like TDD is some, like an afterthought or extra effort. But really like the point is to modularize the software so that you can turn your brain off once you know what the ex expected like boundary conditions need to be, right? I don't know if I agree wholly with that because it depends on your TDD style, but red-green refactor, most of my thinking is happening in the refactor phase because... I suck at planning out my domain model before I start. So I dive into TDD and the, t the TDD, the refactoring cycle is when I'm like, hold on, uh, this test sucks or this yes. 
these things are not separated or these things don't belong together. And then I, then I just have to like, sometimes I sit for like a couple hours or for a day and I just like, cause I don't want to go in the, I don't want to, I don't want the wrong, I don't want the wrong abstraction. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to like have my tests be valuable for a long period of time. Well, but, and I think there's an important thing in what you're saying, Dan, is that like when, when you have like one way to approach what you're talking about is you set the tests and then you never change them. Right. And so like being able to set the tests and know that you can break them, I think that that takes some maturity that like is easy to miss. So like have, have, and maybe this is like the strong opinion that's weekly held, right. Is that like the first version of the test is definitely what you need. And then as you get into it, Oh, this is complete. This is the wrong paradigm. Like I have to like you know back out and yeah and do a V two. I think like from my perspective, ha- allowing for a V one that you throw completely in the dumpster is is the vital part, right? So we we might have talked about this before, but I read an article that said you should push yourself to write uh, bad code first. Yes. Not bad tests, but like write a test and then write the worst code that you can think of that fulfills that test. Mm-hmm. And then take care of all of the um, real engineering work. I want to say real engineering. I don't know what real engineering is, but like the lasting engineering paradigms of separation of concerns and modularity right. and cohesion. Take care of that in the refactor cycle because then you'll have a much more clear picture once it's working. You're like, cool, I made the pe- test pass. At the very minimum, I have a working product. Now... <laughs> Let me make it so that I can modify it later. It's the same thing with with just writing in general too. Like just, I remember hearing a tip of just when you're writing like a paragraph or just anything, just write the worst possible thing first. <laughs> just right. Like, Put it in ChatGPT. Yeah. Don't even think about it. Just get it out there because then then you can start the process of refining. Yeah. Me sad. The so uh, start with that. Going back to the re- the giant refactor thing though, um, this article by Ryan Singer. Uh, his latest one, he he doesn't write often, but when he writes, it's so dang good. And I think what he was talking about was like noise and separating um, uh, work that is kind of noise that you just have to deal with versus the actual problem that you're solving, uh, which is similar in concept to me with the uh, accident or is it called accidental and accidental complexity mm-hmm. versus like necessary complexity yeah. and how you want to push accidental complexity like network calls and DB choices and those things to the boundaries and create APIs between them so that your necessary complexity uh, doesn't have to move. This is the same as like React dumb component versus smart component thing. You like push the complexity out to the edges of your application. And if you're doing a rewrite, uh, I, 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 I always wonder when somebody says, oh, we're like rewriting the whole system. Like, okay, why? Like, what is the problem that yeah. you're solving? Are you working on noise? Uh, and are you actually going to get somewhere? Are you working on something because like you think it's a cool paradigm, or somebody told you it's a cool thing to do? And like I don't yes. know, like you got to you got to be solving a problem, and you have to understand how the new thing is going to solve that problem. That you're not just lifting and shifting crap into a new framework or something like that. Definitely. Let's let's record about this. Let's record about like um, strong opinion is I should understand and believe what I'm working on adds value versus I should listen and trust my leadership and just do what they tell me to do without even understanding. Right. Cause this is kind of where we're in, where we're in, right? Which yeah. Is, yeah. No, I, I, I think the, the biggest thing to me, so like this is the, the core. So the article a long time, time ago, it was from John Osbaugh, right. On, on being a senior engineer 
and really the the key is like are we are we indexing basically just on opinions of a savior right so like sometimes uh, some percentage of time, I'm not going to say if it's below or above 50% or whatever, but there's some percentage out there of refactors, which are uh, XYZ is awful. And if we avoid XYZ, then everyone's going to be happy and we're going to have a great system, right? And a lot of folks get promoted because they push this thing and you know they do the rewrite and then whatever. I think the, the hard part about software really is like knowing that like there's not to be a Debbie Downer, but there's not that much magic in the universe, right? It is it is kind of about the trade-offs. And so if we're looking for a savior, a lot of times that's that's headed down a, a dangerous path. And so really like with that context, what are the what are the goals? What are the uh, noise factors that we're going to remove? And having that set out explicitly, that then needs to lead into, and then the next change that we make is going to be easier for these reasons, right? Isn't it true that any decision that you make, good or bad, will make the next ones easier? Because if it's good, okay, you did a good job. If it's bad, you learn something. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's where like attribution of what made it better, I think is tricky. Because exactly to your point, Ref, like what we, you know, we had this like crusade against X and now we're on the other side of that and the system's better. Well, is the system better because we eliminated X or because we iterated on something and learned something in the process that had nothing to do with X, right? And from my point of view, which is a very like a non-business friendly point of view, it's like engineers should always be trying to change the system, right? Like for good or, for better or worse, because at the worst case, they'll know the domain. And if they know the domain, they can make better decisions later on. But if you're coming into the code base and the job is like, oh, no, 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 we're trying to do the cheapest thing possible with the lowest level of effort possible, then over time you atrophy your domain skills and you're not going to be able to make any changes. So, so here, here's a, a hot take. Um, I think a lot of refactors originate in not invented here. And by not invented here, I mean not invented within my own brain. And I think to your point, Ref, we can get to the same place if we instead have people learn the code base or learn the under, the the existing system, the boundaries of it, without necessarily the explicit goal of a refactor. So in some ways, I think refactor projects some, are like, I have to relearn this thing. And so I personally am going to like recreate the universe, right? And now we started boiling the ocean. We have those kind of conversations. People get nervous. And really, at the end of the day, what we need to end up with is a more distributed understanding of the things that we need to change, right? And Dan, to your point, like knowing what is noise and what's not, I think is you I would say like the, the the noise decision can't be on a single person. Like that's just that doesn't that doesn't make sense to me, right? If you're deciding noise factors, what's noise to one person might not be noise to someone else given their perspective on it. Right? Yeah. 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 I think perspective is the key, right? It's the developing leadership talks about the sociologist versus the psychologist, uh, which has a bunch of different things. I think about zooming in and out on a map, right? Are you looking at in this part of the code base, we have say a really slow function. Um, cool, let's uh, switch from React to Astro. Like, okay, no, that doesn't, <laughs> these are two different, completely different like levels of thinking and looking. And I think there are reasons to, you know, switch your entire, uh, application or architecture or whatever, but you have to articulate those. You have to think about those hard and you have to like plan yeah. them out a lot more because that's a much bigger impact. Um, I think 
an equally interesting decision to like, you know, overhauling a code base is like, if you were starting a company from scratch right now, what would you choose? Cause right now it's, I think it's a weird, um, it's a weird front end just environment right now. <laughs> there's, there's like, there's like react going into Vercel and there's like Astro and quick doing weird things and, you know, partnering with, uh, solid and tan stack. Uh, I, like, I, I'm, I'm a little bit like dizzied by everything. And then there's the whole database, uh, movement of like 15 different databases going in all different directions and all being like these self-serve, you know, things. Yeah. Like, but it's getting to the point where it's like, I don't have to choose relational and non-relational or graph database. There's like, um, right. uh, what's that one called that just does like all of them. Uh, I forget what it's called, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's like, I can manage my database. Like I can manage a spreadsheet right now and then just like plug into it. No, Postgres is relational, isn't it? Yeah. Postgres has, has always had like a bunch of extra features in there. I, you know, I think there's surreal DB is the one I was thinking of. Surreal. Oh, I haven't heard of it. Yeah. So they do everything. Yeah. Always. If something does everything, it probably, it probably doesn't. <laughs> they're working on, they're working on it, doing everything. Yeah. I don't know how yeah. it does it. Yeah. I did a, I did, I used Zata, X-A-T-A. It was a really enjoyable experience using it. Mm. I think it's a, one of the smaller ones, but uh, I think it's relational. It's just like yeah. a table. You can just go edit it. And then Superbase obviously is great. Anyway, off the tangent of. Uh, so back um, to the. Um, strong opinions we can have. What, what if your strong opinion is that every opinion has merit <laughs> and should be considered and you feel that strongly, right? Yeah. I mean, that that I think is my stance as coming from like a skeptic background, uh, but it's similar to saying all science is a theory. You know, the, the people are saying like, oh, any science could be overturned at any time. Like technically, yeah, sure. But you can't ignore the mountains of evidence collected over the last hundreds of years about certain things like gravity and the earth is round like yeah. like so so you have to take those uh humans are really bad at um percentages and like probabilities um but that is the reality is like the probability so like yes um there are certain situations where uh you know you should write um like one one of the best choices would be to write your backend in Haskell, right? Um, is that the majority of the cases? I don't know. Probably not. And and that might not be because of the code. That might be because of the people. And people are fuzzy and mushy and weird. So like when you're in an organization um, and you're thinking about overhauling something or changing something or you know changing from microservices or going into a monolith or whatever the decision is, you got to think about the people, think about the technology, think about the problems it solves, uh, and then you come to this point where you're like, okay, in the majority of cases, it's probably Next.js, <laughs> right? But or React, and and that, but like the the reason I think it's weird right now is that I don't think it's I think it's been more clear in the past, and right now we're in this like kind of fuzzy period. Like I honestly don't know if I started a startup right now, what would I pick? There is kind of the the whole like SPA versus non SPA, and you just like pick a thing. But like my my stance is that my my opinions are very weak right now. <laughs> well, I think so much of it depends on the context too, and then the context can change depending on who is in the room. So, point being, if you have someone who really knows X, and then you find another person who really knows X, right? Potentially, the thing that you know is like um, 
COBOL, right? Or like something something that's like fairly hard to find in the market, right? Or things things that people are not investing in. But if that's who you've got, maybe COBOL is the right choice, right? Like, you know, I, I think there's there's the core technologies and I think that's one piece, but then there's also the things that you're building on top of those core technologies. So I won't know, a, you know, there's a number of languages I won't know but you can still read the code and understand that there are variables and you know there's data that you're loading into memory and doing stuff with like if that's the core piece then potentially the decision is more reversible than it seems right so i think kind of back on the the refactoring thing if you're going from you know one language to another um that takes a lot of effort but if it's a lot of effort with a minimal amount of thinking right so like fairly direct translation that's actually a more reversible decision than it might seem, right? Another thing is like looking at what those old technologies do, like Cobalt. I, I met a family friend who is a Cobalt engineer his entire career, and I asked him like what, what the gist of it is. And as I understand, it's like you, you build this UI, and then whenever some data changes, it just re-renders the entire oh, thing sure. with the new... It's like, fuck, that's the same shit we're doing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and I've definitely noticed with um, uh, with startups, they start in a place where like they use React and something that can like render to a bunch of different places uh, very easily. But then what inevitably ends up happening is um, like speed becomes important. So for Notion, yeah. I remember their Android app had really bad performance, and their solution was just to write it, write a native app for it, and then everything was like six seconds faster, which is very important for when you want to get a thought down. So that's what I've seen as like, um, like if, if I were to start a startup, it's like, okay, let's make a decision where it's like, if we can't, if we don't have the knowledge to write natively for all these different solutions or all these different platforms, then let's write something that can easily be <laughs> substituted for native solutions in the future. Yeah. So what's our, what's our, what's our list of hot topics to argue? So strong opinions we can have versus trust by verify. What is the difference there? Actually, Trust by verify. Just but verify. Oh, trust but verify. So like strong, if I have a strong opinion, let's say like, you know, TDD, good, right? Strong opinion. But then like trust but verify, it's like, okay, I don't even know that TDD is good, but I'll trust you that it's good. And then I'll try to try it myself. Yeah, I mean, I think so. When I think about trust but verify, the main thing for me is like, do we do we need to have the perfect answer? And can, can we, um, or do we need the perfect answer? Right. And I think a lot of times we don't. Right. So when we find that there's something that breaks down, that was a bad decision, we'll find out, <laughs> you know, lengthening that timeline, I think is important, but, um, you know, otherwise it, like basically trusting people allows them to build some kind of scope and to build some experience. And I think that's vital for everyone. And so what, um, the important thing really to me is like making sure that I'm not over directing it because that gets into the, the micromanagement piece, right? Where it's like, do this. Oh, never mind, do that. Never mind, do this, right? And so, meanwhile, nothing has actually been accomplished. We're just like, you know, essential context switching on the course of days, right? So, if I, but then that means just trust, right? But what's the verify part? Well, I think verify is really about the measurement piece. So, like for, for a refactor, one of the important things is how how um, how frequently do we check in on some metric or something, right? 
And so the trust without verification is just wait till six months and then in six months it'll be fine. <laughs> you know, I think the verified, so adding in verification is let's check in, is the new code actually any better or is it just, is it even worse? Um, how are we like, is the timeline better or worse than what we were expecting? Like, I think there are a lot of things that are ambiguous and are not worth measuring. But when we're engaged in a project, we should have some at least fuzzy sense of like thumbs up, thumbs down, right? And if we if we skip that, now, you know, you never like, there's no opportunity except for at the six month window to shut something down early that you should, right? So I think one of the key things is figuring out when you need to like just shut something down. And if you don't have any mechanism to know when you need to do that, don't don't even continue with the project, right? I I agree with that. But I think the hard bit is aligning on the metrics. Yeah. So hard because different parts of a business, different teams, different people, even even individuals are going to have different values and different things that they think are important. Yep. So success. Yeah. Again, going back to like the different levels, like are we succeeding on an individual level, at a team level, at a company level? They're going to be very different metrics, yep. different things and aligning to say, are we on track or not? Or how are we doing? It's, that's tough. That's Here, here's a weird one that I think like is something for anyone. So again, we're kind of sticking on the refactoring thing. I think it's a good thing to stick on. Someone proposed a refactor, right? So um, let's, let's call this engineer A creates the refactor. One of the metrics that you can cre create from that is of, of the new code in the refactor and the new thing, what percentage is written by engineer A? If that's more than 40%, that's probably a smell test, right? And so point being, if there's something where we can distribute the load, distribute the knowledge, now we're creating fewer points of failure and also an implicit like code review process, right? So I think <laughs> one piece here is like, if you're measuring code review just by like how many LGTMs like are given, Right by some rando who's just like ah, whatever, go for it. I don't care. Right, um, that's not really getting the, the value of what's intended. I think from from the code review process. So some some weird metrics such as um, diversity of contributors could be one way. And so the the going into that, the person who wants to refactor, who wants to have this whole project for themselves, <laughs> they might not want to agree to that. And I think that's a good conversation to have. Right. What, why, or how are you so sure that that is, uh, that the diversity of, of contribution is a good thing? Like, like I, I feel like I can imagine scenarios where I want the kind of engineer who is going to move so fast that they don't have time to talk with others and review code. And I, and I can trust them because they are a proven expert on whatever the thing is that I need to build and I just need it built and I want it good. And I know that they can do that because they have a track history or something. Mm -hmm. So like, wait, can we record this part? Let's record this. Part. It's all recorded, right? We're recording oh, okay. yeah, the whole thing. The whole thing's recorded. <laughs> yeah. 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 We'll leave this part in. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah. So my thought is, do you have a balance of those types of people and, mm -hmm other more team players is there room for both uh, a, yeah yeah is there I, I a general case or is there like a, a a best practice idea here 
so the reason I'm saying that, and, and you know, it's a heuristic, and maybe a heuristic could be replaced by a better one. But the 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 reason that I'm saying that is we need to be able to to interpret or evaluate some sense of quality, right? So we have A, we're going to B. Well, how is B any better than A? For me, quality means that someone can come into the system, understand generally what's going to happen, and make a change. And the danger is if that's all in one person, now that person has created a project. This is like their uh, main project. They get promoted for it. Great, I got a promotion. Now I can go find a job somewhere else at an even higher title, right? Now you have a code base that only one person understands. You know, your bus factor is, you know, massive. You're in trouble. You just refactored to B. No one understands B. And so what happens? Well, now you have to make a change to B. I guess we need a C, right? So now we're going to refactor again into version C, right? Or version 3.0. That never happens. And so so really, I think the my, my proposal here is like when, when we think about what the quality metrics are, having a diversity of contributors um, at a at a broad level, basically just reduce the risks. That's that's what I'm using as a, as the heuristic. How can we reduce risk, right? Also reducing risk from like a motivation standpoint too. It's kind of a shame that refactoring is like the only fun way to learn a code base, <laughs> like mm-hmm. to, to or that's seen as as the best way to learn a code base. Like I know that's how I've learned code. I like writing my own code bases. That's how I learn like my own yep. uh, tendencies and pitfalls. So. Yeah, I guess uh, part of it is um, changing the uh, the thought that uh, you know, like writing your own little experiments to test out in a code base. That's the best way. Like being as le- as little destructive as you can as you're going through a code base is the best way. But it takes work. That's I think that's the hardest part. Is you know, because it doesn't come with a new title. Like I learned about the code base. Like that doesn't. That's hard to be uh, reviewed on or performance reviewed on. Yeah. But you can you can measure it in the sense that learning learning is kind of like the prerequisite for a change. And so if no one could make like basically find the worst code that you can find. Find the worst code in your system. Find the one person who's no longer there. No one wants to own it, right? So showing ownership and being able to change that thing, I think is the is the hard like that's, that's that's the biggest challenge, I think, a lot of times in software. And so if we can incentivize that, basically distributing the load across multiple authors, now really, like, so all code is communication, right? And so some people are excellent writers. They, like, provide clarity. They, like, provide the right amount of, like, background. Others are not, and they need more practice, right? And so, you know, I think when I hear the word refactor, Usually my first reaction is that this is a social factor where they want some kind of control. It's probably about wanting more money or something or whatever, something that is, could, could be determined by other means, right? And what I'd try to nudge that person away from, so I'd try to nudge that person away from a refactor and towards some other show of their you know knowledge or whatnot. If it's about teaching someone else so that, so if I'm the person who wrote this complicated thing, getting another contributor that's not me to be able to understand it and have a third person do the code review and have it succeed. That to me, you know, is, is the coding yourself out of the job. Right. And, and the, the kind of success story that. So the, I feel like the typical code base, is, I, I think of it kind of like 
uh, a planet or something where it has this like core inside that nobody touches. And then there's this like surface area where like everybody's active in these few files. And then there's like 3000 files behind the scenes that never get touched. So it, in that, in that world, I, I think this is a typical, typically how uh, yep. large code bases look. Isn't it true then that like, it doesn't matter yes. if one person hammered out those 500 files that nobody is ever going to touch until we blow up the whole earth and, yep. and dig in and, and rewrite everything. Then it's like, then you need another one of those people that can like just hammer out code. Cause, yeah, cause that's the I've, nice I've worked with uh, several of these people before and they're insanely impressive. And the last thing you want to do is go in and start nitpicking their code or getting a second or third person trying to understand it because you're not going to, because it's not great code because <laughs> it's a person who knows how to get the thing done at an adequate quality and level. And it makes sense in their head at that moment. And that's all that matters. And then later, if somebody needs to go in there, it's going to take forever for them to figure out how to change anything. Yeah. But you're only going to do that once every five years. So who cares? Yeah. So, so really, I, I, I think what I'm, maybe this is a strong opinion that I'm, I need to hold more weekly. Right. But like, you know, I think the, the thing here is like, as long as you have that person and that person is happy, you're okay. Once that person is not happy or decides to leave. <laughs> what well, is, what's in, your next in my thing, experience, right? those people are the people who are like, cool, I hammered this thing out and the code is so ugly. I don't want to touch it. So they quickly move on. <laughs> They're not going to hang around and support their beast of a thing that they wrote. Right. Yeah. So that you, you like have to take that in consideration. I think the, 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 like Dan, it sounds to me like you're coming from the perspective of, Hey, uh, um, everyone. Hmm. Well, I'll say this, there's two perspectives here that I'm, that I'm thinking of. One is, uh, like everyone should understand the entire code base holistically. And then the other one is like, Hey, just make everything modular and let people focus on their piece of it and get in and go out. And, and if they have to change their module, 10 years down the road, five years down the road, whatever, it's fine. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think to your point, like having everyone understand everything is actually a waste of time. And so I, I want to call that out. Like the, the thing, there's a spectrum and I think like it's pretty easy to go the other way with what I'm talking about. I think the question is, what are the changes you're going to need? What are the changes that you're going to not think you need today that you're going to need later? And then how do you resource allocate that, right? I think that's, that that is a super hard problem. And I like, i I'd say like if you're an engineering manager, I think like that's probably the most important thing that you can do on your team. Like, you know. Yeah, I, I think the framing that I'm coming at this at is right now I'm interviewing a lot and I'm looking at a bunch of different companies and their team structures and the problems that they're working on and trying to evaluate. Um, and it's pretty depressing. But the <laughs> but but they uh, uh, I think companies go through different phases like at a startup. Uh, on minimal, you know, runway of funding, I don't care if it's yeah. one person. I care that they get the thing done quickly mm -hmm. and adequately. And once we're a stable company that has proven value, yep. we can overhaul and pay more attention to that good, a good, um, good code base and good healthy teamwork, uh, and split it up even in different parts. Um, but I think every company will always have. Well, maybe not every always, those are absolutes, but uh, I think many companies will have this innovative uh, sort of top level where, where it is the case that like, we don't even understand what the domain is going to be. So we just need something out that works that fulfills these requirements. Yep. So like, let's, 
quote unquote, cut some corners, right? Let's like get, oh, yeah. get an expert in here to do an adequate job and get it done. No, I think so. And this is kind of where that, that noise factor piece comes in, right? So the question is, is it, is, is it a noise factor or not? To me is, are you going to need to change that or is it fine? Right. So, or can, can you work around it? And I think, um, you know, if, if the system is such that there's something old and weird that you really don't want to touch, the question is, well, why are we even looking at that? Who cares? And can we work around it? And I think to the extent that we can work around it now, you know, that's a noise, that's a noise factor and we don't have to get into it. And I think the challenge is it's hard to tell which one of those it is, right? Is it actually a noise factor or is it fundamental? So one final piece here is the person who owns that thing, and maybe they wrote it years ago um, when they were drunk, um, they, they want to consider it as not a noise factor, as a thing that needs to change. And so that, that has to be part of the calculation, right? Or at least. Yeah. So, so can you work around it, right? So in, I, I have this opinion that, yes, in the beginning, things can be worked around, but over time, people just keep working around these things in a way that becomes a mess later on. And like, if you don't have at least somebody to understand more holistically the system, yeah. then you're going to come up with complexity, not ex like accidental complexity that will slow down the team in the long run. Totally. And, uh, and like, so, so how do we address both? Hey, we don't want everyone to know everything, but at the same time, we don't want complex solutions for things that could be simple. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the, one of the, and one of the most important things, man, I always, have, I always, I got to stop saying that phrase. Um, like, but an important thing is to figure out, do we, are we using recency bias or is recency bias part of this equation to say that this is like the most important thing. And so the way you can combat that is say, look, we had this conversation six months ago and either that was a really long time or man, that was very recently, depending on the organization and whatever's going on, which can then decide us towards or help us in the decision towards, yes, this is a thing that we're working around. And now we just have a bunch of duct tape everywhere and we need to do something better. I think one, one hard thing here is when, when you get to that point, not like knowing that something is bad is not knowing is not the same as knowing that there's a specific thing that we could do to make it better. <laughs> <laughs> and so what I've seen is like people get together and they get the brain trust and like everyone puts their heads together and they're like, what's going to solve this? And if the answer is not fairly clear, you probably don't have something that needs a refactor at that point. Like, because like, you know, there's something that's not screaming at you that's saying, look, you got to fix this. You're probably, you're probably going to do it wrong by trying to like hack to get the point being let part of what I'm saying is, allowing for the problems to accumulate can be a good thing, right? And it's hard to know when it, it turns from a good thing into a horrible thing, but, you know. Well, so going back to the, like, refactoring the, the, the person that's, like, uh, plowing through code, I think my underlying assumption there that maybe we should be checking is that that is going to get the working adequate quality solution out faster. So th my question is, is there a world in which we hire the right people or align people in the right way such that we get it, we get everything we want. We get uh, many people knowing about the code base, we get good architecture, we get long-term maintainability, and we get the fastest possible solution out the door. 
There's a way. It's very simple. All you have to do is, is it only hire skateboarders? Standardize. Yes. Like you know how you have like uh, how we learn as engineers, we, we go down this rabbit hole of like let's go build our own projects with our own opinions, our own ideas, and everyone comes together as a group and says, Okay, now do it together. But no one did it together. Everyone did it their own way, and now you're circling around with these like, you know, whose idea is right? Well, they're all different ideas. Well, what if we have like a standard way to learn software engineering? <laughs> what if we have like a certification? Like, okay, here's how you work on a team this size. Here's how you work on a team that size. Like, here's here's like the decisions. Like, what if we all came together and said, okay, listen, this is how you solve these problems <laughs> in a way that's like, and then update those things and have yeah. a, like, here's this, here's the solution. Like, if Google, you know, these Facebook companies, like, if they come together and say, okay, we've solved these problems a billion times before, let's go tell people what the solution is, and then trust but verify yeah. that stuff, and then update it. Yeah, then maybe we can isn't it, Yeah, isn't this kind of how like frameworks and stuff are moving too? Where it's like there's all these meta frameworks, and we're starting to realize that like Next.js and Remix and Astro and Quick and everybody are building the same thing. So like, why don't we just build the meta meta thing? I think that's what. Well, okay, um, framework's not going to solve the problem of how to work together as a team. Like, how do you like? Yeah, the, but, like, yeah, yeah apply yeah. that to teams, right? Yeah. Right. But 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 um. Part of me wants to say, is it that, or is it, or like, I know the people factor matters, but could we get to a point maybe with AI or something, uh, combination of the right, uh, strongly typed language, AI help and, um, and TDD, could we take any group of people, uh, sufficiently, you know, um, in the, in the industry and, have them be a very high performing team and get these, get all these results that we want. Yeah. I, I mean, I think really, I think the thing that you're both describing is the role of an engineering manager. And so if you, you know, if you are in this position where you are an engineering manager and you feel like the job is mostly about listening to people's standup updates and then, you know, filing TPS reports, I'd say like the thing, like addressing what we're talking about here is probably the more important and impactful thing. So crafting a team, figuring out what, like who can do what, how do we put the pieces together in a sustainable way? How do we treat people well in the context of the actual tasks and the work that they're given, as opposed to like just giving them like Starbucks gift cards? Um, I think that is, I, I don't, I'm not underplaying it. It's extremely challenging to get that right. But I do think that for whatever reason, we have this, this like, we have the stupid tendency in technology to understand, to think that management is either not necessary or like, just like not, we're, we're not uh, there. I've seen, I've seen it misunderstood of what the value can be <laughs> and we never go anywhere because of that. And so um, management is important. We have to give it the amount of time. And I think there's so many companies that haven't seen the potential of that, of what we can do there. And that's crazy. Yeah, I always have joking with my with my thing. Like, it's not, of course, not simple. And of course, like, if you have everyone homogenized into one idea, like one way to solve problems, then probably not going to get innovation at that point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it kind of like thinking about motivation again. Like the Ralph, you remember, I remember you mentioning something about how Amazon would kind of uh, have these teams work against each other to like recreate a, a system or something like that. And like that's the um, I think solving the the motivation issue that refactoring is like, so like there's like two ways to get stuff done. You either refactor it, like that's kind of really inspiring to get stuff done or you're competing against something else. 
And so those are like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I would love to compete against someone else, but there's no one to compete against except myself, which, <laughs> which is tough. It's the toughest thing. Yeah. Yeah. You would love to compete against some, like, like, let's say you're building a, like a part of the system. You would love to have multiple teams trying to build the same thing in the best way. But then what if like, okay, I've back, gone back and forth on this idea many times. Wouldn't it be better if those teams just combined and like share their ideas up front and like collaboratively worked rather than like, like, oh no, we can't tell them this super, super awesome idea because if they find this out, then they may be better than us. So we got to like make sure they don't know this information. Yeah. If they can agree. And I think this is the challenge is that like with like, there's so many different factors that come into what's actually happening. One of them is I don't like this person. And so whatever they say, I'm just going to go to the opposite of whatever they say. So if they like, Hey, I'm going to say B, nah, you're wrong. B it's always B. Right. And essentially once you get that type of structure, um, as you increase another node and another human into that, like list <laughs> the number of connections and number of like dedupes that you have to cr create is really crazy which is why generally like teams are you know roughly capped around seven right as opposed to like 700 um like the amount of noise and um whatever it, it just is gonna go crazy yeah i mean I'm, I'm sure like if the um back in like the 60s and 70s i'm sure if the russians and the united states got together to build a satellite it would have taken five times as long you know like i think it's helpful <laughs> to like have that separation and competition yeah. there and fear yeah so what did we learn today yeah what, what what did this uh this 15 year old who's playing modern warfare learn today let's see software is boring yeah software. <laughs> it's tough <laughs> It's tough. <laughs> Actually, yeah, software is boring. I like this idea of bringing, of making boring things exciting. In fact, there's a podcast that I just learned about called like something interesting, something super interesting. Uh, oh, uh, secretly incredible, secretly incredibly fascinating. So I like this idea of like, you know, this. Sometimes the boring stuff is the most stable and innovative stuff it just is incremental and over time and it's not hype and it's not like over opinionated yeah. and i kind of like that the the thing i'm running into now and maybe i can get just like a quick round of advice or feedback on this i am interviewing uh, some companies or talking to some people and i can just see in my head the the pictures gets formed around when somebody talks about the size of the company the tech stack the team how it's structured and things. And I just start to think like, I've been here before. I see all the problems. I'm probably not going to learn much from this. It's pretty boring. Like people don't, it, it's not an exciting business. It's not an exciting thing. They're going to pay pretty well. And I I start waffling between like, okay, I need a job. Uh, I need I need money. And this is stable. And also it's known. It's like a thing that I've done before. So that's one thing on the other side, like, God, I just don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to deal. I don't want to do this. You know, like mm -hmm. I want to work at a place that ex is like exciting where there's like people that are like coming there to like build a thing that's like cool. So like, uh, yeah, I don't know if people let me, have let me jump opinions in. on that, but the, the most exciting place is like a startup and they're going to pay like significantly less. So here's right. my, in that, in that scenario, what do you do? So uh, I'll come, I'll share from the place of like, I was working at an agency before and like, you know, you're, you're basically doing the same thing over and over and over again, right? You have a static site. It's not that complicated. It's not that exciting. It's pretty boring. What made it so exciting for me was that I did it. I did every single one in a different way. I learned something. 
and I try to like, okay, I learned this. Now let's go solve another problem. Okay, my developer, my my my, my tool chain is is uh, has some problems. Okay, okay, how do I do this? Uh, like, I gotta generate screenshots because we have to give screenshots to the uh, to the company so they can get like FDA approving these designs. Uh, mm-hmm. Like the actual like actual uh, code that was gonna be shipped out later has to has to be approved. Like, how do you do this process? Is okay. How, my CSS management, like you know, my 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 state management, like all these things. And it became extremely fun. I really, I really loved it. Like that, that, like so. The point is, like, okay, just because you did it again once, once before, that doesn't mean you can't do it a different way. Yeah, and, and I, I have a example from outside of code altogether, outside of tech, which is uh, so big fan of rock climbing. And many years ago, I did, um, I did it competitively, like doing like public competitions and stuff like that. And so I got to be the best I ever was. And then I stopped. And so now I, whenever I think about like, oh, maybe I should like start getting better again. I can see that path perfectly of like, okay, this is what I'm going to get out of it. And instead what's kind of happened is there's this other avenue of um, just like using rock climbing as a way to hang out with friends, build relationships and do stuff outside. And so I'm seeing that as the new thing that I'm learning rather than the technical aspects of it. And so um I don't know if there's any way to kind of uh, draw correlations back to tech with that, but like just, yeah, finding joy in a different aspect of the same thing. Oh, maybe the correlation is like, okay, let's say, Dan, you come to this project, right? It's the same old thing that you've done before, but now you're, you're in, instead of trying to like lead the project and like teach people, go with their idea and see what happens. Like, let's, let's uh, like, you know, it's, it's not like something where as long as you're not in a position where like you're responsible for the project to be like hey, teaching everybody everything, then if you're like going with that idea, I I think that is going to be a fun experience to see like, hey, let's do something where I don't really, like the actual trust by Verify, right? Let's go trust that someone else is gonna like have the right plan and let's see how it goes. <laughs> and then you'll have two stories. Like one was like the way I've done it before and then I did this entirely different approach. The amount of value you'll get from your career for having two different perspectives on the same project is immense in my opinion. I, I think the other piece on this, it, you just kind of touched on this too, right? But like our brains inherently want a pattern match. And it's one of the reasons that hiring is is hard, right? And like this person said something and that reminds me of this other person and I had a bad reaction about this other person. And now my brain has put those two different human beings who have like completely different, you know, histories and everything together into one thing. And so point being, I think sometimes it's figuring out what we're triggered by in terms of, I've seen that before. Well, you've seen one aspect of it before and you're doing a join on a, like, forget the join conditions. Like they're a bunch of trash, right? Like, um, what's the background? Is this person willing to listen? Is the power structure different? And, and by those things, I think what looks the same is in some ways an opportunity to like, maybe Groundhog Day, that thing, right? Where it's like, oh, I'm going to try something different. I'm going to jump off a bridge this time. Let's see what that does, right? <laughs> and I think, you know, that, that's kind of my angle. At like, I think finding where the learning surface areas are uh, is always challenging. But I think even in the most boring, the most repetitive, the stupidest stuff, um, as long as we're... And, uh, it's really that fixed mindset thing, right? Like as long, as long as we're able to challenge our own fixed mindset about the thing that we think that we're seeing, uh, it's going to, you know, it's going to be okay. So I'm hearing that I could find 
joy or fulfillment in the boring thing, potentially if I look hard enough or do the right things. But what about this option? What Say I get two offers. One's an yeah. exciting startup that sounds pretty cool and everybody seems awesome. The other one is like kind of a large corporate culture that I've seen a dozen times before and I'm iffy about the management. But so, the pay is much better. So like, do I go with the big company that seems more stable and I can just like find the joy? Or do I go with the lower pay and uh, jump into this exciting thing? So- What's your favorite movie? Is it, and I'll preface it by saying, is it is it something that you had high expectations going into? Or is it something that you would just like put on the TV because you didn't like even know what it was about or care about it, right? I'll tell you for mine is like, you know, the latter, right? So if you if you started with something like, oh, I'm joining this company specifically because it's going to be so exciting and everything will be new and, and like, you know, so impactful for my career, it's probably not going to be that, <laughs> right? Yeah, drop every expectation. I think that that's yeah, that's easy. Just uh, roll some dice and go into it. Um, You're saying just go with the money. Yeah. (laughs) Well, but I think so. Here's there was this framing. You know, there's another HBR idea cast about this, and it was it was essentially they framed it in this way. They said you can you can get paid in a large environment where there's low amounts of learning, or you can get paid less at a place where you can learn a lot. And that was the trade-off that they were discussing. And that's not, you know, there's variations in that or whatnot. But I will say, in general, larger structures, there's more places for folks to hide. There is generally, like, you know, conversations that you've had 600 times and you're fucking sick of it, right? Um, so within each of that, in some ways, you're getting paid <laughs> to be bored. <laughs> like, I think that's just part of, like, the job. Not always, but that's a part, that's an aspect or it's like a, it's a likely... Um, component of the experience and so one question is what do you want i think the challenge for me is today i want this and then tomorrow i think i want to be bored well what does that mean you know like so i think understanding where that my needs might change over time is part of the struggle and and really to me what i take that as is like there's always going to be the other thing the other option like looking at me (laughs) down from above in my future timeline and that's okay. I think that's that's just um, you know the the universe kind of equalizes some of those things out, and when it doesn't, you can equalize it yourself, right? So yeah, I th- I I think that if I get in a, in a in a big stable company doing things that I've done already, I'm not going to stop learning, right? I have good habits yeah. and I have discipline, and I I go home and I learn stuff. I've done this yep. s- several times in the past. Um, but my my deeper feeling is more around like for what (laughs) because like at some point all of the outside of work learning is like for what right like at some Mm -hmm. point it has to be that I jump into a real project for real people doing real things and and solving problems or else all of that knowledge and learning is like for what yeah so what I'll say is that there's there's kind of there's different skill sets and so to your point, if you're if you're building into a skill set with large corporate environments, one of the skill sets that that necessitates is being able to navigate some really crazy things. And so, question is, do you want to be good at navigating crazy things? What I will say is, in some ways, those same um, learning structures are going to be helpful in a smaller environment too. Like it's not like startups never going to have that, or like it's not like you're never going to see any of that. Right. Someone's going to want to do something to like create a report and, you know, streamline and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I, like 
I think to your point of like, for what I think to me, the way I think about it is what are my future options and what do I want to build into? I think there's a, there's a large focus on specialization, which is good. But when that specialization is no longer a thing that people will hire for, not so good. <laughs> and that's, it's hard to know. I, I think if we all knew, we'd all be working for, you know, right. Megacorp, right? And it'd be sorted. Last thing I'll say, Dan, is like, you know, you're, you have a young child. You know, is this the time to go full in on a startup? Probably not, right? Are you going to be working like 12-hour days, you know, six, seven days a week when the project, the company success depends on like a couple people to execute on on their stuff, right? It's probably not the right time. Yeah, maybe. That kind of assumes that that's what startups are like. I'm hoping like the startup that I'm looking at seems like they have really good work-life balance and... Yeah, yeah, it could be the opposite. Yeah. yeah, it depends on what the startup, like how interesting the startup, like the more the startup is trying to change the world, you're going to have unhealthy habits there. But the more they're like, they found their niche of just like, <laughs> I have no idea. Like we do leaf pickups in Brookline to off yeah. of people's sidewalks. Like, perfect. That's great. Like that's super niche. I'm sure people will pay you for that. Like that seems like good work-life balance. You got to find the most boring startup you can. Yeah. Yeah, it goes back to like boring is is good a lot of times. Like that's where the real progress is. Well, one, one piece on that too, Sam, is that like, I think that's, it's a key part of the personalities, right? And so someone who wants to eat the world, that person might end up in the leaf blowing company and then change it, right? <laughs> and then like, you know, I think it's, that's where it's like, so much of it is really about the people and the interactions that you have with them and like, Mm. who's like from this set of interviews who are the people that you actually want to work with or so i have kind of two options i really want to work with this person or oh boy but i'm going to learn a lot working with having to work with that person that seems crazy so like you know there's <laughs> those are the two sides yeah the name of my my leaf blowing company will be uh blowing hot air exactly <laughs> I never understood leaf blowing. You, you, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Just use a freaking rake. I don't understand why people <laughs> have these leaf blowers out all the time. It's not, it doesn't work. I don't know. Use a vacuum. Like a leaf vacuum would make sense to me. No, yeah. leaf vacuum is, I've tried that. It doesn't work. Really? Yeah. I'm blowing, but the, blowing, but the blowing. blower, the, is the blower, the blower doesn't work either. I, so I the see. thing is, we can talk a lot about this, but not, not the right time, right? Let's, let's, let's end it here. And that's, uh, let's look at it. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Episode two of this will be about leaf blowing. Stay tuned for the exciting cliffhanger. The next episode is all about leaf blowing. <laughs> <laughs>